Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Naked and Inside Out. It's Janine Toro here. We're an LGBT podcast highlighting people in the community doing some incredible things with their lives and careers. And we're here to share these stories with you, our listeners. Today, we have an Elaine Bennett. Elaine is an award-winning speechwriter. Elaine Bennett says her favorite clients are the people who are smart enough to know good writing when they read it, but are too busy to do it themselves. She's worked with leading executives in a range of industries from financial and professional services to nonprofits and politics. Warren Buffett was impressed with how Elaine captured his voice. He wrote, you have a terrific ear and you turn straight thinking into straight writing. Elaine is so passionate about writing that she's launched a coaching business to help more people create it. She blogs daily on her website, bettitinc.com, which I will link later on in the podcast notes, where you'll see their corporate mission, making the world more interesting one sentence at a time. Elaine, welcome to the show. Hey, Janine. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So there were so many things that I liked when you sent over that bio to me that I was like, I can't leave any of these out. Okay, well, I I should say that when when Warren said I turned straight thinking into straight writing, my partner was really amused by that, not being straight. So yes, <laughs> you know, I guess some of the questions that I would like to start with, or maybe you can give us some background about what you do right now on a day to day. Oh, sure. I walk the dog and sit down at my computer and at some point I stand up if my legs will still let me do it and I walk the dog again and then I go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I write for leading executives. I write speeches. I write, you know, op-ed pieces or magazine articles that you might see. And I write most, I I have fallen into a sort of subspecialty of writing about diversity and inclusion. And also I, I write a lot about ethics. And those look like those are going to be two hot topics going forward in the next administration. So that will be an interesting and it's it's an interesting time to be LGBT in the world. It's an interesting time to be LGBT in business. And that's who I am. I just got my business certified as a as a an officially gay business uh, by the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. I guess is what the group is called. So I can help my clients check off the LGBT diversity box when they hire me. And uh, of course, who knows if people will st- still care about the LGBT diversity box. <laughs> I mean, I hope they will. I mean, and if they don't, we're going to make them uh, as aware as possible that they should be. <laughs> so is this something like, how did it evolve? I'm sure one day you weren't like, oh, I'm going to just do this, right? Or yeah, maybe- yeah, yeah. I got out of bed one day and said, <laughs> I'm going to be a speech. No, you know, I, I came to be a corporate speechwriter by a completely non-replicable route. Uh, you, you, you know, it's, it's not a model for anybody out there who wants to be a speechwriter. What happened was I, was I was living in Brooklyn and I was doing some temp work. I was, you know, already a writer. I was, I was spending the rest of my time editing romance novels, which is another podcast altogether. <laughs> um, but I learned lots of new things like ne- new words like nether lips, Hmm. I always thought that was a country in Europe, but, (laughs) 
But anyway, so I was living in Brooklyn. I was doing some temp work and I went down to Wall Street because it was the closest commute. And I ended up at Solomon Brothers and in their corporate communications department. And in the course of the work I was doing, they discovered that I could write. And eventually they kept saying, come work with us. And I kept saying, why would I want to do that? I was a theater major in college. I, I was not, you know, somebody who was who was positioned to go to Wall Street. And so I kept saying no. And eventually one day they came to me and they said, well, our CEO is going to go out and do some public speaking and he's going to need a speech writer. Do you know how to write a speech? Hmm. And I'd never written a speech in my life. <laughs> But I had had one semester of playwriting in college. And so I thought, well, a speech is just a monologue with a different kind of audience. So I said, sure, I know how to write a speech. And so that was it. I was the speechwriter for the CEO of Solomon Brothers. Get out of here. No, it's true. It's the strangest story. And I went to my college reunion a year or so later and people asked me, this one woman asked me, what am I, what was I doing? And I said, I'm the speechwriter for the CEO of Solomon Brothers. And she said, come on, Elaine, what are you really doing? <laughs> but I was. And then when Solomon Brothers had a, had a little scandal and Warren Buffett was our major shareholder and he came in to save us and there I was, the CEO speechwriter, and there he was, the interim CEO. I didn't write speeches for him because it wasn't appropriate for him to go talking around in public, but I did write a lot of internal things, and, and apparently, he, well, as you know, he liked me. So that that really set me up to have a career as a freelancer, and that's pretty much what I've been doing since. So what inspired you to start the coaching business and and be a freelancer versus, say, be in-house somewhere doing this? Oh, well, you know, the thing about the thing about writing is it's much better when you do it free range. You know, you you have a writer in a cubicle and you get cubicle writing. It's really, really hard to to sort of break out of that. Actually, I was just reading a book called Persuasion by a guy named Robert Cialdini, and he talked about writing his previous book, which is called Influence, which was a big bestseller. And he was writing it when he was working at a at a university. And so sometimes he wrote in his university office looking out at the university. And sometimes he wrote at home looking out at, you know, people walking up and down the street. And he wanted it to be a kind of general interest book that lots of people would be be interested in. But when he looked at what he had written, the stuff he wrote in the university was just absolutely academic and completely unusable for his purposes. But the stuff that he wrote at home was really good. And I just blogged about it a couple days ago that if you go to my blog and search uh, Robert Cialdini, you'll find it because the language was just completely different. So as a as a freelancer i i am able to offer some a different perspective than somebody who works in house and that's what my clients tell me that they really like they really like that i'm always bringing them different things and and unusual ideas so how's your life work balance my you know it's 
it's pretty good. Since I started launching the the uh, coaching business, and I, I'll get back to that because uh, you did ask about yeah. that. But, you know, I've been working a lot more and I've been blogging every day for about the last nine months. And that's a great discipline for me. It it gets a lot of a lot of ideas out in the world. But, you know, it does. I blogged on Sunday. I blog on Saturday. I blogged on Thanksgiving, you know, so that's something else. But so why did I start the coaching business? I'm sick of reading bad writing. And I'm sure that everybody in the business world who has to read the stuff that floats around the business world is sick of reading bad writing. And so I sort of started out as a self-preservation instinct, you know, <laughs> if, yeah. I could, if I could teach people to, to be more interesting and, and write more compellingly and write, write things that are more memorable, then I would be able to read those things. And the truth is that not everybody who there are a lot of people in the business world who want to write well and just haven't, you know, it's not really something that's taught in you know business school or other schools. People come out of academia writing like academics, and that's not the way most people want to take in information. So I figured there was a there was a need. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there even who are, are giving speeches and don't have the institutional support or the budget from their companies to hire somebody like me. So this is, you know, instead of giving them a fish, I'm teaching them how to fish. And it's, it's really rewarding for me. I love, I love hearing the light come on and helping people express themselves better. So it's a fun, it's a fun business. Absolutely. I mean, I think there, I think there's a lot of benefits to freelancing in general. Like I don't, I'm not a writer per se, but I mean, I work in user experience, my day job. Sometimes I feel like when you're in a certain environment, right? Like it, there's like almost like, uh, not that you're like confined, but I feel like there's just more freedom or something about being able to like, if I want to go work at a co- coffee shop today, I can, or if I want to go walk my dog like you do or, or integrate these other aspects of your life into your day. I mean, I think it's great. And every, it's a really great path to take. Yes. I mean, sometimes my weekend is Wednesday and, you know, and then I'll compensate by working more on the weekend or, you know, sometimes I take the weekend off, but it is, it's really nice having the flexibility to be able to do that. That was one of the things that I loved early on in my freelance career. I think that's sort of worn off now, but just the joy of being able to walk around the city on a Monday afternoon and know that everybody on the street I was passing was going back to work and I was just doing my thing. Yeah. On your website, it says that your most memorable annual report story involves a job that she lost. Yes. And to ask you about Enron. So I'm curious to hear this story. I got a call from an ad agency and they said they had a client that wanted an, an annual report writer and they were going to pay me by the hour, which is a crazy thing to do for an annual report because annual reports take forever. And so usually you do them for a flat fee, a really nice flat fee, but they wanted to pay me by the hour. So fine. So I go in and I sign all the all the agreements and they explained to me that, that this client has a they think that the client is going to be having a reputation issue. And they brought me in because I'd, I'd worked with several financial 
industry clients that had gone through reputation problems. And they wanted to know how they could position the client so that, you know, we could minimize the damage from the reputation issue. And so I went off and I did some research on what was going on at Enron because it hadn't yet come out fully what was going on. And I went back to him and I said, you know, I am not an expert, but it looks to me like they're trying to keep losses off the books. And he just, he just, all the blood drained from his face and his jaw dropped. And he said, okay, well, well, um, come back and give us three different ways that we could conceptualize this annual report and try and, you know, minimize the damage. And so I went back and I gave him three different things that they could do. But I said, you know, none of this is going to work if you don't come clean and just tell the truth completely. And he said, okay. And he sent it down to Houston. And then he called me up and he said, thank you very much. We won't be needing you anymore. What? I told them to tell the truth. They didn't want to tell the truth. They couldn't tell the truth. Yeah. You know, they ended up in jail anyway. Yeah, if yeah. They told, if they told the truth, they would have ended up in jail sooner. So that was, you know, that was a, a dodge the bullet story. But it was, you know, it's it, not very often that you're happy to lose work. But I was very happy to lose that job. Well, yeah. Yeah. What about, you know, like you said, you studied theater, right? in college and now you're like working on wall street like all this finance stuff like how did you kind of catch up and like get yourself up to speed on like what you needed to know well i was really lucky in that my boss at solomon he had a lot of a lot of drawbacks but one thing that was really great about him was that he recognized that you could you can't teach somebody how to write a sentence. You can teach somebody anything that you need for them to know about finance, but you can't teach somebody the basic, you know, basics of how to write a sentence. So he knew that he had somebody who could get the end product out, and and so I had some mentors who, you know, sat with me and helped me learn what I needed to learn about the ins and outs of Wall Street. And, you know, I've I've picked up pretty much every industry I've ever worked in. I've I've had to pick up the the issues and the and the challenges that I was writing about and then learn to write about them. But I think that that's that's a benefit for my clients because I need to have a, a general general audience's understanding of the of the problems before I can write about them. And so that, that means I write about them for a general audience, not for, you know, a bunch of people who've been to business school. What would you say is one of the biggest risks that you've taken? <sighs> Other than going out on my own. Yeah, well, so I've written some pretty funky things for my clients. The first one was, you know, back in the 90s when I was still on Wall Street, I wrote a speech for a CEO that quoted Simone de Beauvoir. And, you know, back in the 90s, Wall Street was pretty a pretty sexist, pretty male-dominated place. I mean, maybe, maybe still is to a certain extent, but I don't think it could possibly be as bad as it was then. But I knew that this guy had a wife who was working and who was, who was an intelligent person, and I, I, I figured he'd be okay, quoting, you know, a French feminist. More recently, I sent a client a speech – 
that used the plot of The Sound of Music like a business school case study. Hmm. And it, it actually won, a, won an award because he, he gave the speech. He was a very brave man, and he gave the speech. And the audience loved it. I actually got to hear him deliver it. And it was really very gratifying to see the reaction because, you know, I sort of set it up like, well, there's this, there's this young employee, and she doesn't like having to be at work when everybody says she has to be at work and she doesn't have any time for her own pursuits and you know she's sort of pushing back against the against the authority figures in in the office and everybody's pretty unhappy but every once in a while she'll slip out of the office and run up to the alps and twirl her skirt and burst into song because she's really maria from the sound of music <laughs> and <laughs> And that that speech is on my website. If if anybody wants to to read the opening, it's a little bit better than what I just said. But 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 the idea of looking at businesses challenges of you know retaining younger younger people and especially women in what had been at the time a much more strict anti work life balance environment that was a big challenge that. The business was facing, and so uh, I, I, it just occurred to me that the sound of music was the perfect vehicle to talk about that. So this may sound like a weird question, but how did it feel to hear your writing like out loud? Oh my God, it's so amazing! It really is. I mean, I've gotten to hear clients speak at the UN. That was that was the most I was on I was on the cloud nine the rest of the day. I was just sort of walking around looking at the world and the world was all normal. But I was thinking, I just heard my client talk at the U.N. Right. Yeah. Like, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty good rush. I just like knowing that I can put ideas out in the world and my my clients ideas out in the world but in a way that that feels good to me. I didn't get to hear this speech, but I wrote a speech once for a client who was talking to potential recruits. So like they were college, maybe sophomores and juniors and the and the company was trying to, you know, woo them to come and come and work for them when they'd graduated. And at some point in the speech, I had the guy say, you know, as a straight white male, I blah blah blah. And I heard that the whole room just kind of started buzzing. He said straight. He said straight. Well, you know, I mean, of course he's straight, but the the, the acknowledgement that not everybody is really set those set those young people on fire. And that was, you know, I don't know how many. I don't know if every other speechwriter would have noticed the nuance or put that nuance in there. But it really connected with the audience, and that was great to hear. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine. For me, it's like, you know, you're writing for a client, right, and their speeches, so they're obviously going to be said aloud, whereas not everything that's written is read aloud, and those are your words. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yes, it's very cool. And writing for writing, writing a speech is different than writing something that's going to be written down and read quietly. It has to be a little bit simpler. You have to kind of repeat things a little bit. 
and there are a couple of other other uh, tips and tricks that you need, but it's a great way to make a living. What do you do if you ever feel like blocked in your writing? You know, writer's block is a huge myth. And is it? You know, I just somebody I saw a tweet today it was some quote from a writer saying, you know, oh, writer's block is a terrible thing. I retweeted. I said, why? Why would you spread this horrible myth? Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's now I'm, I don't mean to. If you, if anybody's listening, if you have writer's block, if you believe you have writer's block, you know, I, I don't mean to minimize your pain because it's it's tough. But when I don't when I don't know what to write, it generally means that I don't have enough information yet. So I'll get more information. But I write I have a discipline of writing for 15 minutes minimum 15 minutes every day for myself. And I have done that for, as of today, 230 days in a row. And that is, you know, that's the best thing I've ever done for myself as a writer, because even though I've already won awards, my writing is getting better because I'm, I'm exercising that muscle for myself every day. I mean, I, I write a lot for my clients, but, but just, making sure that I get 15 minutes a day in for myself. It's been a really good thing. And yeah, there's no such thing as writer's block unless you want there to be, because you can always, you know, and it doesn't mean, you know, maybe people who have writer's block think that they have to be writing good stuff all the time. Nobody writes good stuff all the time. (laughs) No. Are you sure? I am 100% positive. It's the 80-20 principle, right? You, you know, 20, 80% of your effort, you know, produces 20, 20% of your effort is good and 80% of your effort is bad. You know, you only wear 20% of what's in your closet. You can apply it to anything. But, but nobody writes great stuff all the time. And certainly nobody writes great stuff on the first try all the time. So just put it down, get it, get it into the computer and worry about it later. I think there's some maybe fear associated with that as well, or of something not being good enough. And this notion of like, you know, I can't use this notebook to write in or sketch in because it has to be perfect. And I think sometimes that's what happens too. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm, you know, old enough that I started writing in a world where there were no computers and that, and honestly, when computers came along, it made it much easier for me to write because I knew that if I wrote something that I didn't like, nobody was going to see it unless I, you know, printed it out or emailed it, you know, it could live in the computer. And if I decided to edit it later, Nobody would see the crossed out stuff or the typed over stuff. They'd just see whatever I ended up with as my final product. So that's freed me up in a way. What would you say in your life? Have you ever felt like there was a struggle because you are a member of the LGBT community? Yeah, well, so back 
in the 90s when I was working on Wall Street, there, you know, women were barely there. So and barely, barely respected. So being LGBT was not not going to not going to work. And I did have a picture of my partner on the desk. But if you saw it, it was a it was mostly a picture of my cat in the garden. And my 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 partner at the time was kind of in the last third of the frame, just staring not at the viewer. So if anybody asked, I could say it's a picture of my cat. I never... (laughs) Your cat. You're funny. My cat. Well, no, my cat, my literal cat was in the picture. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But, but, you know, I never never played, you know, pronoun roulette. I never, you know, I mean, everybody knew that she was my roommate. Oh, God. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. You know, uh, and I think I'm... I mean, obviously, things have have loosened up in many, many parts of the country, and it's fine to be LGBT. When I when I uh, started interviewing to work with my my current anchor client, I'd mentioned that I'd done. They asked about research, and I'd done a huge research project for the Gill Foundation, and so I was talking about that. And then I, when I left the interview, the woman who ended up hiring me came running out to find me at the elevator. And she said, you know, we give a lot of money to the human rights campaign. What? (laughs) Well, I I think that was her way of saying, oh, I just figured out that you're gay. And Uh, I want to, I want to, I want to let you know that you'd be welcome here. And and I thought that was that was really endearing of her. And you know, I did bring my partner to the Christmas party when the holiday party when they invited us. And and you know, so it's you know, it's a little bit different being a freelancer. I mean, of course, I write a lot about diversity and inclusion, and I'm you know not LGBT is my only diverse category. So well, I mean, I'm a woman too, but but that was my I think. That was my ticket into writing about diversity and inclusion because they knew that I was that I was a lesbian. By the way, the reason that I asked you about or I was like your cat, because it just reminded me of something like that I would do. Like the person was always like my best friend or or like um, what was the other one? I would never say he or she like I did that like, oh, they or uh, or I wouldn't refer to people by name and like. It just became this thing. I'm like, do these people know that I'm gay? And they just are just like, Janine, tell me, you know, or were they just going along with it? Like, not even from a business perspective, like this is more so like in terms of like friends or family members and things like that. Yeah, I just always figured that people knew. I never figured, I mean, I'm a sort of femi appearing kind of person, but I always figured that people people knew and, you know, it was just sort of a don't ask, don't tell kind of situation. But, you know, when my partner at the time when I was on Wall Street, when we had a, a commitment ceremony, I did invite some of my some of my colleagues and and they were they were fine with it. I mean, nobody nobody who knew us, who socialized with us had any questions about whether we were sleeping together. Yeah, um, there was no LGBT affinity group to join back right back in the day so where do you see the future of the lgbt community going 
Oh, dear God. Good question. I, mean, I, I know. Yeah. I, I feel like maybe I should start on this and not end on this question sometimes. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. we're talking to each other. I don't know when this is going to be released, but we're talking to each other just about a month after the election. And, you know, at this moment, it looks like Donald Trump is going to be president and Mike Pence is going to be running the show. And Mike Pence is one of the most homophobic legislators that we've ever seen. And everybody that Trump has nominated for his cabinet is is greatly anti-LGBT. So I really worry. And, you know, Pence is is, is a supporter of, of uh, conversion therapy. I really worry about the young people. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to care about me. It's not like I'd start popping out babies tomorrow. But I really worry about younger people and what they what they might face. And I, it's it's a very sad, scary time to think about. I mean, I know my anchor client has a really strong commitment to diversity, and I know that they're sincere about that. And I know that there are. There are many other companies in the country that are sincere about their commitment to diversity. But, you know, depending on how long this this part of this era of history lasts, it's going to be increasingly difficult for companies to hold that line. And especially if people in the, you know, if consumers or, you know, just other clients start pushing back on on inclusion issues uh it's 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 a really scary time to me and please let's not end on that <laughs> yeah thanks for listening everyone no <laughs> no you know this uh you know this whole election and everything that kind of has happened since it's been so much. I even kind of had a call to action on one of the podcasts, like right after the election, like, please call me, leave me a voicemail, like email me, whatever way of communication you need to, please get in contact with me, which I still want people to do. I didn't get that many people, but you know, I really wanted to hear people's perspectives on why they voted for Trump, especially if they have friends that are LGBT and that are somehow they're, you know, just their reasoning. Like, I just, I wanted to hear it. I wanted to be open-minded. I wanted to hear it. And it's funny because I've talked to some people and one of the things that, you know, is constantly said to me is like, I, I say it like this. It's almost like this twofold thing. People see the election in two ways, right? There are people like me and probably you that see this as like Trump is anti-LGBT. The people that he's putting in office are also. Look how much work as a community, like, we've already, you know, that we have gotten to at this point, like we don't want to reverse, right? Or we don't want to have any of these things undone, yep. et cetera, right? And then there's this other side of it where it's like, well, they're not even thinking about like someone's values. It's more like, well, am I still going to have a paycheck every day type of thing? Or like, how is this affecting me and my family from maybe a financial perspective or from what, you know, whatever their values are? And I'm like, huh, that's really interesting because obviously, like, I didn't see that perspective of it. So I'm glad that someone has, like, told me this, right? That's why I've, I've asked. And because for me, I don't know, like, I don't have a family and kids, right? So I can't really say this. But I feel like as me as a single person, 
or if, if I, you know, if that was my situation, I would still care about the values of me, my community and the future. Right. Like, yeah, yeah it's important to put dinner on the table and like, and I'm not saying I disagree or agree with it because I can see it from both sides and I can't really say a hypothetical situation of what I would do. But I think what makes it so hard for me is it's like, we're all affected by this. Right. And we're all different classes and different races and different, I mean, so many different things. So it feels like we're separated, right? And it's like, how can we come together or at least have an understanding of everyone's values and like how to actually work together or how to educate people that aren't educated, right? Or that don't know things that we know. Well, so two things about that. One is that I think that the people who voted for Trump for economic reasons are going to be really, really disappointed when, you know, his labor secretary nominee doesn't doesn't support the minimum wage, not 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 even raising the minimum wage. He doesn't think there should be a minimum wage or when his when when they go through and eliminate the insurance program without having another one in place, you know, or when the Wall Street dudes he's nominated for several positions go and do some things that are not going to be really good for the middle class. I think that I think that those voters are going to be very disappointed. The other thing is how do we bridge the divide is a really really good question. And I don't have an answer, but but one way I think the only way we can connect with each other is one on one by telling our stories by being authentic, by being real, by saying, you know, this is going to hurt me because my marriage is going to be invalidated. You know, this is going to hurt me if I have kids because my kids might not be able to have two parents who have married protections. It hurts me when I have to, when I have to be closeted at work it hurts me when I have to cover up who I am and and to talk about the pain and talk about what what really affects us and tell our stories. Storytelling is the most powerful thing that we can do. And that's one of the things that I talk about a lot on my blog and and to my clients is is telling stories authentically. And I actually have a a gift for any of your listeners, Janine, who are interested. They can go to my website and you can put the link in the show notes, but it's benedinkcom slash naked hyphen podcast. And I'll give them my, a little ebook I wrote called make them listen to you five steps to create focused communications that get you heard, noticed and remembered. If we can each learn how to talk, how to, how to, how to tell our stories more strongly and, and more authentically, I think we'll start to connect one-on-one. And that's the fabric we need to knit back up so that we can do the bigger things and, and restore civility to our society and stop being a place where people get harassed because they look different or, you know, all of the terrible things that are going on. Now that's a way to end the episode. 
<laughs> Thank you so much for not only coming on the show, but including that free gift to our listeners. I'll have you actually spell out the URL if you want, because I know the ink is actually I-N-K. Like ink from a pen. It's Bennett, two N's and two T's, B-E-N-N-E-T-T-I-N-K, like ink from a pen, dot com slash naked hyphen podcast. Perfect. And I'll also link it. Is there anywhere else where if anyone wants to reach out to you, that would be your preferable contact method? I'm on Twitter at biz speechwriter, B-I-Z speechwriter. And there's also a contact form on my website. So you can find me through there too. I have free webinars that I offer from time to time. And, you know, anybody's welcome to join. Great. Thanks again, Elaine. Sure. Listeners, thank you again so much for tuning in. You can find us on nakedandinsideout.com. We're also on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Google Play, all the pretty much major podcast streaming networks. We're also on social media, Instagram, Naked, A-N-D, Inside Out, and Twitter, Naked underscore Inside Out. And you can always, like I said in earlier in the episode, if you have any feedback or commentary or want to give me your insight on things we're talking about, give us a call at 917-818-0097 and leave me a message. Great. Until next time. Thank you.